0: Welcome to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening, everyone. Uh, My name is Eve. In case you haven't met me, I'm the clergy lead here at St. George's. And uh, it's wonderful to be starting this new series in Hebrews. Uh, Do keep that journal if you've got one and bring it back each week. Um, use it to you know, maybe keep some notes and reflect on what God is saying uh, throughout this term. And as we head into this New Testament letter, we acknowledge that we don't read this in a vacuum. Our surroundings have shifted again over the past few weeks. A new prime minister, the death of our queen and a new king, violence in our cities, war in the world. We also bring to this letter our own experiences and perspectives of life. There will be demands on our attention, our affections, our loyalties in the context where we are Monday to Saturday. Offers of hope, rest, pleasure, productivity come from many different places. So how do we live faithfully in our workplace? in university, in our families, in our schools. And often under pressure and change, our imagination shrinks and our perspective and hope dulls. And we become polarized, we're less likely to listen to others' voices, we can go into survival mode. And so um, we want to reinvigorate our imaginations and hearts for who God is, throughout this term and who we are together. And the together part is really important because it's how we're invited to do it in the Bible itself. So as we look to the book of Hebrews this term, I hope we see a better human, a better glorious future, a better savior, better promises, a better life than anything else can offer, all in the person of Jesus. And we're not sure who the author of Hebrews is, and that's okay. But they invite us, like the early church, to expand our imagination again with Jesus as our inspiration. And we don't quite know who the audience is. It's not like other letters in the New Testament, uh, maybe from Paul who writes to people of the church in Philippi, Philippians, for example but we find out some of their context from reading the letter and what is being addressed. And as we look at this letter, I invite you over this series um, to take in the whole of it, and you've got the book in front of you now to do that. Um, Maybe read the whole letter each week. It takes, or listen to it online, it takes about 47 minutes to listen to it, read by David Suchet. Inspector Poirot, uh, that's free on YouTube, and you can find that. Um, Or a couple of chapters a day so that each time we come to it, it's not for the first time. We've already been looking at it uh, solo and in our groups. So we're going to head in. We're going to think about how God speaks, who Jesus is, who we are, and how we pay attention. So, how God speaks, we're looking at the first four verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So it kind of just starts. Uh, There's no, hello, this is who I am and I'm writing to you on this occasion. In the past, it's like a film starting in mid-shot and you just get swept up in the narrative, like one of those continuous shots. Introducing us to the rest of the film, what to know and what to expect The perfect trailer. And we see in verses 1 and 2 that God, who we soon understand as the one creator God, speaks. The author presumes this, and that's so encouraging. If you're still exploring faith or you're not sure about the God that we worship here, know that he is a God who speaks, who is personal as well as transcendent. But how does God speak? Well, first, the author emphasizes the prophets, that the prophets pointed to Jesus, which we have recorded in our Old Testament, the first kind of two-thirds of the Bible. But more recently, it says God has spoken in the Son. Not named here yet, but again, in the context, we know that this is Jesus of Nazareth. The Scriptures point to the Son, Jesus. And the Son, Jesus, gives meaning and interpretation to the Scriptures. So already this letter, as all New Testament letters are, is immensely practical. Even as it's explaining who the Son is, it's instructive as to how we engage with this letter and other Scriptures. So if God speaks through the Scriptures, are we listening? Literally, are we reading and listening to the words of Scripture more than other narratives, more than other sources, both alone and maybe even more importantly, in community, in groups? Are we learning together how God has been at work in the world, bringing justice, mercy, reconciliation, ultimately in Jesus? It's not always that easy. It's a book uh, that has lots of different genres and it takes a while to get into. There are stories of messy, flawed humans. But it's a lifelong li- uh, gift from God that we have for a whole of our journey with him. And if the Bible isn't leading us to that closer, more intimate relationship communally with Jesus, then it just becomes information it's quite tiring to take all of that in. But if if as we read and listen and meditate and talk about the Scriptures, if it leads us to the Son, then we're doing well. And the Son, by the Holy Spirit, helps us interpret the Scriptures. And how we do that will depend a bit on our stage of life, where we're at, um, what other responsibilities and routines we have. Um, Lots of you will know, because I've said it a few times before, that I uh, try to start my mornings with uh, the Bible and a cup of Earl Grey. (laughs) Two people. Great. Thanks, guys. Spread the Earl Grey love. Um, Earl Grey, first thing. Um, That's what I drink in the morning. But I wonder more and more, and as I was preparing this, if God is inviting us to press in together, to be doing that in our small groups or when we meet with, uh, with our friends for coffee, Um, Are we looking to Scripture, pointing people, pointing out each other towards it, maybe reflecting what Jesus has to say about different things that we're thinking about and talking about? God speaks through the Scriptures and the Son. But who is this Son? Who is Jesus? Well, the author of our letter gives us the most beautiful poetic description in the next two verses, verses 3 and to 4. The son who was present at creation radiates the glory of God. As Jesus, the word made flesh, he is the exact representation of God's being in human form. Another translation puts it that he expresses the very character of God. God was the Word at the beginning, if you know the song band. You were the Word. There you go, they're singing it. You were the Word at the beginning. We sing it a lot. God was the Word in the beginning. He's always been the Word. And then he became the Word made flesh. So there's a lot in this book, and we'll hear it as we go through, a lot of what we call um, Christology. You can all say Christology. Great, we're all uh, New Testament scholars now, excellent. Um, That means the ology of, yeah, um, how we think about Jesus. There's loads of it in this book, uh, and these verses are a great place to start. This is to say that when we look at Jesus, whether historically the people who met him in the flesh the Word made flesh, or whether throughout history the people like us who have heard the witness about Jesus, who have put our trust in him because he's alive and been filled with the Spirit, we have seen and interacted with the Creator God, the one who made the universe. And there's no other faith or philosophy that makes this claim. God's in ancient Greece in the ancient world were either far away or you had little household statues. The intimacy and the relationship of the created to our creator in our faith is distinctive. It's like looking in a mirror and seeing Jesus standing next to you, walking with you. So if you've encountered Jesus, whatever background we come from, however much knowledge we think we have, We are in relationship with Jesus, communing with the creator of the universe. That is true for us. And the author assumes that the people listening and reading will have heard the Jesus stories, how he walked the earth and claimed to be a prophet, how he taught with authority, how he performed signs and wonders, how he died cruelly on a cross, and was then seen alive. The author is interpreting the meaning for us of what had happened, like Jesus did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus provided purification for our sins. A new way of relating to God, free, as we've been talking about tonight, is possible. Because of Jesus, the great high priest, will we'll think about in future weeks Jesus did this and then he sat down again um, I always bring this up because I like it um, I know some of you will know this already but sitting down is like the power move in the ancient world because if you're sitting down you're in charge you've completed what you need to do it's the cosmic mic drop the risen ascended Jesus is now reigning and ruling the cosmos with the father And then we read, so Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. That superior in Greek is at least 12 times in this book, which is why the theme of our series is Jesus is better. He's superior to the heavenly beings, the angels. His name is the one we should honor and respect. Are we spending time with this Jesus, are we meditating? We are on Him. Are we asking the Holy Spirit to help us know Him better? It's not all about learning Bible verses, but these verses might really help us. Who we are now—just to say that Jesus being superior is not how we might think of it with kind of negative connotations. Now, it's not a superiority complex. Um, he actually has the authority and the status and the glory. Um, That means that honor is due to him. He's offered himself, humbled himself in love for us and been exalted, raised up, so that now we worship him. And from uh, chapter 1, verse 5 onwards, the author uses and interprets many different small passages from the Old Testament to explore who this Jesus is and who we are in relationship to God. Also speaking of the angels, spiritual beings created by God, helpfully, um, I find it helpful to think of them as messengers of God. We see uh, some Psalm 2, a royal psalm, promising an heir to King David, the descendant of which would be Jesus. 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17, again the Lord promising David a son. And we see um, that, Jesus is of God, not created like the angels, that the angels were made to worship uh, God and to serve humanity, those who would inherit salvation. And by the way, guys, I looked up those verses. I don't just have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. If you look it up on Bible Gateway or in a, you know, if you kind of look it up, you'll find all these hyperlinks back to the Old Testament, just to let you know, that's, that's how I do it. Just look it up. Yeah. Human beings are made in the image of God, and in the ancient world, temples would have had statues or images of the God in them, representing and manifesting the presence of God in a location. But in the Jewish Christian understanding, it's humanity, male and female, us together, that God creates and breathes his spirit into as his image in this cosmic temple. And he uses, um, the author here uses Psalm 8 uh, in chapter 2, saying, God is mindful, thoughtful of humanity. He crowned us with glory and honor, gave us stewardship of the earth of one another led by God. And this should shape our imagination about how we look after the planet, other people, and seek to bless the world. And I'm aware that we've mentioned um, angels and spiritual beings, and this letter acknowledges a spiritual reality, that the world is matter and spirit, both together. And we don't need to concern ourselves too much with the study of angels, I would suggest, although they're not described in the Bible like we often see them in the nativity plays. They're a bit more intimidating than that, uh, and they serve as messengers often for God. Our focus is to be the Son, Jesus, And I'd encourage you, if you have had unhelpful experiences of other spiritual practices or ones that aren't focused on Jesus, come and chat to one of the team or one of the clergy or um, ask someone to to talk that through with you and so that we want to be focused on Jesus before anything else. Do you know that you are created by God to share care and reconciliation of the world and other people? That he knows us, he is mindful of you. And finally, pay attention. Now, we've seen how much there is in just those first four verses and in the first chapter. And in ver- uh, chapter two, we see why the author is offered these thoughts. And again, I, you know, it's nothing new under the sun. I'm going to say it. There's a therefore here, guys. I get excited about the word therefore um, because it is therefore us. So whenever you see a therefore, you ask, what is the therefore? some people know by the end of this series you're going to be saying it a lot and I do not apologize for that Um, that's what a lot of our preparation for you know sermons and for looking at the word together is what does it say what's it leading us to in verse 1 of chapter 2 we must pay careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away pay attention don't drift away Over the past few days, many thousands of people have been paying attention to something, to someone. People have been queuing for hours and hours in order to pay attention and to not drift away. The queue. Now, please don't hear this as any particular view on the queue, although I like that rhyme to see her late majesty, the queen, but there is a queue. People are paying attention. Now, this is a significant national and cultural moment, and communally we're responding as a nation to that in different ways. If anything, it reminds me how we are made as spiritual material beings. God comes to us tangibly in Jesus. Someone cared for his body when he died. It's normal to acknowledge the body of a loved one who's died, and especially in our you know, nation in that picture, someone like the Queen, uh, loved by many in our nation. We are also ex- exceptionally committed to queuing. We've shown that. In Hebrews, there seems to be something that the author was addressing people drifting away from the gospel, maybe to other gods or other things demanding their attention, living less of the fullness of life they were offered. And what's the thing we must pay the most careful attention to? How do we hear God's voice? We've already read it and heard it the scriptures and the sun. We don't want to neglect so great a salvation announced by God in Jesus, confirmed in signs and wonders, given through gifts of the Holy Spirit today. And we are lured and invited to pay attention to loads of things in our world today. Screens and technologies and algorithms and live streams of cues are designed to hold our attention We need to think together about how we steward ourselves and what shapes us there. Our jobs, our studies, our families, our friends, our inner life, all of these things require attention. This isn't about detaching from the world or people, but we're invited here to pay attention to Jesus first, to let him shape our perspective, our imagination. And we don't do that alone as solo, individual Christians, we do that together in community. Her Majesty the Queen paid attention to Jesus, and she was pretty bold in inviting others to do so in her speeches at Christmas and other occasions. And I'm praying for Archbishop Justin Welby tomorrow as he preaches at the Queen's funeral. I'm praying that empowered by the Holy Spirit, he might help us pay attention to Jesus, the source and the goal of the Queen's faith and ours. And let's also take responsibility ourselves in our conversation and care of others as people reflect on what's going on in our nation and the world, that we can help people pay attention to Jesus too. So we've learnt how God speaks Who Jesus is, who we are, and we're invited to pay attention. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.